I believe there are two ways to approach our lives. One is looking at it as a series of norms we have to live into and objectives we have to achieve. This view is full of expectations, pressures, bias, and systemic dynamics that continuously need to be overcome. The other is to look at life as a series of choices we make and goals we set for ourselves, a life that is full of agency, growth, and opportunity. Welcome to Live Stoked and Lead Stoked, where we explore both life and work from that latter perspective. I'm your host, Sarah Bettman, coach, consultant, and speaker. More importantly, I'm a fellow traveler on the path towards living my own stoked life, and I'm passionate about helping others do the same. Let's jump into this exploration of life and work and what it means to live and lead stoked. Hello, everyone. It's great to be here with you today. Yeah, today is launch day of the podcast, so we preloaded with episodes one and two, and I am recording number three today on our launch day. And I got to tell you, it's a little bit gnarly. I have a little bit of a vulnerability hangover. Having put myself out there, I did my first uh, IG live, which was awesome and cool with my friend, Christina Italic, who just launched her podcast, Bold Beyond. I recorded another podcast, No More Mondays with Angie Callen, which will be out in a few weeks, which I'm excited about. And now I'm recording this, so it'll be ready for launch on the 25th, episode number three. And uh, yeah, before we jump into the AMA, it's exciting. This is something I've always wanted to do, and it's a little vulnerable. So anyway, so I have been out there. I appreciate all who are listening and reviewing I had no idea how important reviews were, so I appreciate those of you who are taking the time to do it. And today's uh, approach to the call is an ask me anything. And in the spirit, I told you in an earlier episode that I would be honest with you, I had scheduled this to be a live session where people could ask me anything because I had done this with an organization, Women of the Vine and Spirits, had a lot of fun doing it, incredibly successful, and well, no one signed up, which is totally fine. So then I didn't have any questions. So I was freaking out about that. But then I asked my friend, Christina, and I've asked my friends and family, what questions should I answer on episode three? And so I do have a whole host of questions. They've come in as recently as the last 30 seconds. You'll see me looking at the computer because there are some of them there. Some of them are on my phone. They are all over the place. And so I'm hoping that in production and show notes, you can see what the questions are and skip if you don't like any of the questions, but I'm testing this, you know, in the spirit of trying this approach, the ask me anything has been something that's been really fun for me to do. And I loved it. And so I thought I'd try it with you. So let me start with the first question here. Okay. I love this one. Choose one cats, dogs, or coffee. And that is cats. I have two boy cat and girl cat. And they are the loves of our lives, my husband, Matt and I. And uh, so it's cats with coffee a short second behind. The next question is, how do you approach new things that scare you? And gosh, that's a that's a great question. You know, some of it is getting clear about why bother doing it. So there are things like this podcast recording with you, recording on the um, Instagram live that scare me. But I all know it's in service of me learning how to be a podcast host. It's around me living my most stoked life, which is to tell my stories and to talk with amazing people. 
and frankly, to have a creative outlet and project that feels important to me in 2024. So it first starts with answering the question, why bother trying something new? If the scary thing is a growth thing, if the scary thing is a physical accomplishment, I've done a lot of things that are just because I imagined a picture. So for example, I talked about how my I you know woke up in the wrong life, unraveled that in two years. One of the things I did after ending my marriage with my husband, he bought me out a house. I used that money to go on a trip to Everest Base Camp with a week in Thailand by myself. I'd never done that before. And I was gone for five weeks. I was in tears the night before I left because I was so scared, almost going to cancel because I was just so nervous. I couldn't, I couldn't even fathom what I was doing. It ended up being most of the incredible experiences of my life. But one of the things that kept me going as I kept talking myself out of it, whether it was about spending the money or fear or whatever, was the picture that I would send as a Christmas card of me standing in front of Everest. It was as simple as that. So sometimes we have a thing that we just want to do just because, and when it gets scary, we start to do that because there's there's something on the other side we can imagine. For me, I can imagine what's scary on the other side of this podcast. I've been inspired by so many of those of you who are podcasters already or have been on them telling your story. I can imagine what it will be like in the future, and that's very compelling for me. So that's how I do things that are different. So let's see what is another question. This one, I'm going to go to my emails. Oh, someone asked me, this was earlier today, and it, it wasn't actually a question that was sent to me, but it was asked earlier by a friend. And this idea of lead stoked and the work I do on lead stoked, like how does it all connect? And it, it's a bit complicated in essence, um, but it's not complicated in action. So part of my live stoked is allowing us to be integrity with who we are, what we want to do, what we want to accomplish. And part of that is knowing what we want, who we are, know our strengths, weaknesses, what you can count on from me versus not. So that's the live stoked side. The lead stoked side, there's an element of being a leader and bringing that out in others. But in an organizational level, what it means to me is the organization is integrity, meaning what they say about who they are is an integrity with what employees experience. So for example, I like to use Patagonia. Even if you know nothing about Patagonia, but have seen some advertisements, um, but maybe don't have their clothes or whatever, you can make some assumptions about them as a company because how they present themselves. And what I like to say is if you don't believe in climate change, you probably won't be happy at Patagonia. And so the Livestoke side is for you to know that about yourself and not even apply to Patagonia. The lead soak side is when someone's hiring to recognize this person probably doesn't align with the mission of Patagonia, so uh, would be a good fit. But then also the organization, as Patagonia talks about what they're doing, making sure that it's in integrity with the experience that people will have day to day. So what that means for a lot of my clients is getting clear about what their culture is. And I've worked with clients and companies that have two people up to thousands and thousands. And whether it's a team, whether it's a department, whether it's a leader, what is it that we're promising our employees? And so especially in this place of um, diversity, equity, inclusion, 
a lot of companies don't understand what it actually means to create a safe space for diversity, or they don't ex exactly know in their heart what the behavior change is from them. And so what we are seeing right now is a bit of a backlash of companies taking actions without understanding the fundamental leadership changes needed to be in integrity with those changes. So I work with clients and customers on creating the environment that is aligned with what they want to accomplish, who they are, that then cascades down to the leaders and the leadership commitments and accountabilities for the environment they create for the employees, which then cascades down to Live Stoked, which is having conversations to allow the individual to share who they are and what they're about. So I hope that makes sense. It makes sense in my head. It makes sense in how the work happens. But at the same time, I'm it's not a clear cut. I work with individuals and I work with organizations. So that is that question. <laughs> okay, this is from my brother. And I, I promise to keep these questions anonymous, but this one I know I have to call out my brother. What's your favorite brand of teardrop trailer? Well, that's very clearly the fine teardrop trailer from All Good Equipment Company. That is the company my brother has founded with my husband, also a Matt. And a part of our Live Stoked life is, dream is bringing out this organization and this company that's manufacturing teardrop tailors in the San Francisco Bay Area. So that is my favorite teardrop. Thank you, Matthew Bettman, for the question. But I will go on to say a couple things about that because it is a silly question, but it, it's not a silly answer and what it means to my husband and I and, and our living our own Stoke life. So Three years ago, we moved to Michigan, and it was a career change for my husband. Prior to that, my husband had been working a, a lot of great jobs, but essentially was supporting me as I traveled the world and did my work. And this was kind of his time. He wanted to try something new. The, the experience, he learned a ton. I got to start this business, and that was part of our path of living this life that we dream of, where we're living with agency we're making enough money to support us and, and able to do the things we love, be generous, all those sorts of things. So when we returned to California, this opportunity came up to work with my brother, and it is the most awesome thing ever. I can't even imagine my husband working somewhere different. So part of our work together is creating a life where it's possible that he and my brother can build um, all good equipment. Further in alignment, all Good Equipment is designed, my brother left his industrial design job to start this company. And these are my words to it, maybe not exactly their marketing. I'll have my, maybe I'll have them on in the future and they can wax poetic on, on how they started the company. But it's to help people get outside. People that maybe don't want to be in the tents, people who aren't, you know, always want to go camping, but never have before. And it's meant to make it uh, accessible and easy and, and make access to the outdoor, make the equipment not a reason why you don't go outdoors because it's overcomplicated. So the spirit of all good equipment as a teardrop trailer company right now is to make it easy for people to get outside, to be with their family and friends and experience the outdoors in a way that's comfortable, safe, has everything you need without a whole lot of prep before you get out the door. So um, it's really exciting. If you want to check it out, we'll have it in the show notes. I'll probably have the mats here sometime to interview for podcast guest because, well, they're just really fun to have on. So anyway, that's that question. Okay. So on this next question, what tips do you have for navigating imposter syndrome? 
I love this question. I've actually done some recent learning on this and on this idea of imposter syndrome. This changed the way I've looked at it, and I'm still exploring it and learning, and I'll share some of the thought leaders that have inspired it, this and me, and then I hope you go find them. And maybe I can have them as guests on this call. I know one of them I very likely have on the call. But one of the things that I think this is my version of what they've inspired in me, and I highly recommend that you read their versions of it. But the two people are Elizabeth Leba, and she wrote, I'm Not Yelling, the book I'm Not Yelling. So I read her book. That's what inspired. But then my friend, Dr. Stephanie Kirkland, started a conversation around identity leadership. And that has changed how I've thought about imposter syndrome. And where I've landed in that for myself is this idea that imposter syndrome can be many things and where we trigger it and label it, we might be mislabeling it. So for example, I'm a podcast host, right? I am recording my third podcast right now and I could be rife with imposter syndrome because it feels scary and it's new to me. But the truth of the matter is it's new. So therefore it feels scary. There's no syndrome. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm doing something challenging. I'm doing something new. I'm trying something new. And that's the deal, right? And so sometimes it's usually referred to women getting a new job and feeling imposter syndrome, any number of other things. And the truth of the matter is, it's not, I don't want to take away their experience. If it's imposter syndrome to them, then, then that's what it is. But the other side is if you take a new job, it just feels scary. It feels awkward. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know what to expect. I always like to tell my clients the first year in a new job is scary. Um, the first year in a new organization is hard. Uh, even the first year of a marriage or living with a significant other is hard because all, there's so much learning and you're on a growth spurt. So part of imposter syndrome for me that I'm real playing with is where we've labeled this thing a syndrome, something that's wrong with us as something that's just normal, which is trying something new is scary. So that's one but two, both Dr. Stephanie and Elizabeth are black women, and they're talking about the idea of imposter syndrome is less about you not being in the space. And I apologize to both Dr. Stephanie and Elizabeth if I'm getting this wrong how you intended. This is my interpretation from my understanding, so I welcome you to come fix this for me. But this idea that what you're experiencing in imposter syndrome is the environment telling you you're not welcome. So instead of shining the light on the environment to recognize this is an unwelcoming environment, people are reflecting to me that I'm not welcome here. We turn it the light back on ourselves to say, oh, something's wrong with me. I need to fake it here when in fact the environment is what I would say not stoked to be with you. And that can happen in many micro nuanced ways. And again, that's something I'm exploring. Um, having left organizations where I didn't feel like I could contribute, where I didn't fit, I can recognize some of that because the first place I went personally was to what did I do wrong? I need to fix me. I need to be different. And, and unfortunately, what that perpetuates then for me is being inauthentic. But for those who are in marginalized groups and organizations, it's something, it could be something a bit more insidious. And it's telling you the culture and some of the systemic dynamics in the organization that unfortunately then the already marginalized person is internalizing is something further wrong with them 
versus reflecting back to the environment. So back to the question around managing imposter syndrome, I think it's first an assessment. And I would research some of these conversations about thought leaders, because I think for me, it's taken a a simplified phrase that we've thrown out there. Certainly in the 20 years I've been doing advancing women's work, it's, it's a phrase we go to frequently. And starting to look at the nuance and exploring, am I feeling uncomfortable because I'm trying something new? Am I feeling uncomfortable because I'm in an environment that maybe is not as welcoming as I thought it would be? Is there something else? And start to parse those things a little bit differently. And then what Dr. Stephanie Kirkland talks about is that's a place from which to lead from and to establish your leadership. And it's important work. So those are my deep thoughts on imposter syndrome. Again, I'd love to hear your thoughts in the comments. And then hopefully I could have Dr. Stephanie Kirkland on to share kind of identity leadership and this perspective on imposter syndrome that I think has really just got me thinking about it. Okay, next question. Ooh, I like this one. This came up from someone. What are some questions I can ask at a job interview to get a peek at their culture? You know, I think one there's two sides to this. When people are hiring, I always say that the interview starts long before the interviewee gets in the room. And I think that goes both ways. So if you're an interviewee, as in you're an applicant for a job, it starts from when you walk in the halls. It starts with whose pictures are on the walls. Many years ago, I was working for a large aerospace organization that had their own conference area. And they talked about how new employee orientation was in this big conference. Everyone would would go there and there was a hotel and a conference center. So it's a corporate learning center. And they would walk the hallways and see all the founders and leaders of the company, which were predominantly white and male. And they realized that wasn't reflecting or that was out of integrity for their conversations around inclusion and wanting to um, increase representation of different groups in uh, their organization. So they changed it to who lives the values. And as they changed the pictures on the wall, obviously the pictures now were diverse people, not only demographically, but in different parts of the business, they were also uh, different levels of the business, but it also got to celebrate the value and what it looked like to celebrate the value. So as an employee walking in, look at what's on the walls. What are they saying? What are they celebrating? Next, how how do people interact with you? Um, notice interactions with employees while you're walking the halls. I say to all my corporate clients, what would I see if I shadowed you for a day? What if I secret shopped your organization? What would I see? And you as an, a new employee should do that. Up until when you get into the interview, you've observed something. You can always ask questions. What do people do for fun? You can ask directly, what's the culture like and how do you live it? What is an example of something you'd want to see from me in the first few months as I'm living the culture. And I think actually another great question, which isn't directly related to culture, but that could be a really interesting question I like to ask is imagine you've hired me and it's been a great year. I've been everything you hoped. What would you want to see from me? In that answer is a lot of great information. I have had interviews where people have said, I want this, this, this. I was recruited by what would have been a dream job. It was a sports team that I'm a huge fan of. 
And when I asked that question, it became clear what they wanted from me was counter to my philosophy of how I did the work. And it was for a, a leadership role leading a body of work. And it became clear that no matter how much I, I might have wanted that job and, and been part of that organization, I was there was no way I was going to deliver what they needed, but also it said a lot about their culture and how they get results and how they work. Conversely, in a, a corporate job I did take, the manager basically told me I'd, it'd be a game changer for me to be there and that I had something no one in the organization had. And just having a manager before hiring me telling me that was like, I want to work for you. So sometimes the answer about culture isn't necessarily around questions about culture. It's what you observe. It's what is said or not said in, in questions. I think the bottom line is, how did you feel in the place? Could you start moving into the place? Could you see yourself there? I think we have a lot of gut instinct, intuition, whatever you want to call it, that can tell us if you feel heady, like you're really trying to convince yourself it's the right job, it might not be the right job or you need more information. And it may be something subtle about the culture that you can't even put a word to that would influence you, but it's enough. Because I, I'm sure you've had friends who've said, I knew when I went in there, it would be like this and it wouldn't work, but I went anyway. And so just a, a really much broader view of culture helps you get into that organization, eyes wide open. And, and here's the other thing, be very clear about what you want to contribute, what you want to accomplish. Sometimes in organizations, we, we read the job description and go ahead and get, give it two years try, but you might actually find at the end of two years what their vision for the role and yours, what you hope to get out of it are different. And that's totally okay. So I'm going to go back to searching to my last question. Okay. What have you learned when practicing your craft outside the U.S.? So I mentioned I've done some of my corporate work, but even coaching work with people all over the world. And this is both for the individual, but also for the, the kind of organizations across the globe everyone has a different context. So here in the US, you know, leadership, inclusive culture, culture, it has a it's a different conversation than those in India might be having or those in China might be having or across Latin America where I've done work. And I call them different contexts within which you work and you have to be very aware of this. And I learned it a long time ago when I was with a consulting firm and we were writing content for inclusive culture curriculum for a large company, the global company. And we realized at some point, someone called it out. I certainly didn't pick up on it, that we were so US centric in the story as it dealt with race and identity and some of the issues going on, because we were kind of narrowing down in some of our examples. And it wouldn't work. It, the stories and the content wouldn't work for other audiences that we we're going to present it to. And it was a really powerful lesson in the idea that where people live, even in the United States, you know, I grew up in San Francisco, so I've had a different experience and understanding about the world than say, uh, if I had grown up in the Midwest or a small town versus a big city, or if you had traveled a lot as a child versus say, a, you know, a, a military brat where you, you traveled and learned to experience different cultures and different people. So I think one of the biggest things I've learned is is to really think about the context within which we work and the systems. So whether it's an organizational system, a geographical system, a country system, a family system, and understand each of them have different contexts that impact their relationship and their ability to do what they need to do or accomplish their goals. And it adds a layer of complexity 
to the work I do, but I happen to like it. Keeps me humble because as soon as I think I understand what's going on, someone will share a story and it's like, I can't even even relate. And And I'll end on this final note that is an extension of this question. I spent my life, you know, learning, oh, if you just walk in a person's shoes and part of, of empathy and understanding is taking on someone else's perspective. And though I appreciate that concept, what I have found for myself and for some others is that in trying to do that, we're trying to bridge this, this in my hands, I'm holding my hands up kind of like a, a tent, pop-up tent with my fingertips together with my palms out. And this idea of we, we try to bridge this, but here's the problem with humans. I can never understand what it's like to be a different person. So uh, I forgot to have kids. So I, I talked about in episode one, the kids that I was, that helped me move out of burnout. Well, well, I never had them. I forgot to have them. So as much as I've seen kids, been with them, I've studied about parents, I've coached parents, I will never understand what it's like to have a child, period. I can't. It's just not in my bones. I will never understand what it means to be a person of color. I've experienced marginalization in areas and I've experienced uh, microaggressions, but that does not mean I understand the experience of what it means to be, say, Black in America, Hispanic in America, Asian in America. I will never understand it. I can have an idea of it, but now I'm holding my hands side by side, straight up, and there's a gap there. And part of what we have to do when we work in cultural environments is mine that gap, and it's very uncomfortable. And as we relate to each other, and as we are together in relationship, that gap is uncomfortable because we can't, I can imagine it, but even in my imagining, if I count on that, I'm not seeing the other person. So we have to stay where I can only imagine what you're talking about and tell me more and get, we stay in curiosity when we keep that gap. We don't make assumptions. And there's a book I'm reading right now by David Brooks. And boy, would it be really awesome if I could interview on the, him on the podcast but how to know a person. And he talks a lot about this and how we need to stay curious and, and in questions despite differences, because there's just no way we can understand. And we're wired to try to understand. We're wired for bias and we're wired to not expend a, a ton of energy with our brains. Our brains use 20% of our energy. And part of being good relationship with people who are different with us is, is being able to mine that gap, stealing the words from the the trains in, in the UK, because it'll always be there. And that was an uncomfortable journey to understand, because I always wanted to connect with, oh, I know what that light that's like, or, you know, that happened to me, or I can imagine because this happened. And, and I have since learned, and this is work in progress, that when I do that, I've just lost sight of the person in front of me that wants to be seen. And I've also lost the ability to be curious because now I'm in my own head in my story. So thank you for that question because it's, you know, at the macro level, it's about the difference of environments and international um, experiences. But frankly, when you bring it down to the person, it's really understanding I can't possibly know another's life or experience. And in that is freedom because I don't have to know and I can remain curious. And if I get stuck, I can always say, tell me more. So anyway, here we go. This was the first Ask Me Anything. I'm shooting for 30 minutes. Hopefully uh, you got a lot out of this and I'd love to hear your feedback. It's I get to play with formats. I get to play with how we're going to do these podcasts. If you have questions, we're going to set up on the website ways that you can ask questions and who knows, it'll be on the air. And 
I thank you all for listening. I thank you all for just being out there. I know you're there and I, I see the, the reviews and I see the conversations and the shares and the cheers. I can't thank you enough for it. So until next time, I appreciate you. Live stoked and in turn, lead stoked. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us for Live Stoked, Lead Stoked. We know you're busy, so it means the world to me that you'd spend this time with us. If you're interested in digging deeper on the topics discussed today, be sure to check out the show notes for resources and links related to this episode. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button if you found this to be time well spent. Your support helps us immensely. Plus, consider leaving a review. They're like virtual high fives, and I appreciate every one of them. Finally, stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Feel free to shoot us a message or a question. Your stories and experiences enrich the community we're building here, and you never know, your question may end up on a monthly Ask Me Anything. So until next time, keep subscribing, keep reviewing, and keep living your most stoked life. We'll be back with more inspiration stories and insights. See you then.